the gates this morning. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. So. Well, that's good. Thank you, brother. All right, we got 901. You guys are so kind about that. I'm sure there are some communities where it might not be so graciously uh, bent, but uh, so um, just a quick, you know, we've got our last session in here. We're going to likely kind of bring Romans 1 to a close either today or maybe a little bit into next Sunday just to open up some dialogue. We'll see how, how slow you guys move this morning. Um, and then next week we're back there and I think that'll be good for us. I think it'll open up a little more interaction and just a small and certainly more comfortable for the folks who have the misfortune of walking into the middle of this class, you know, thinking they're coming into worship and fellowship. I want to start and then pray and uh, just kind of encourage you with these words from our Lord. I think you'll see why by the time we get to the end of this study. Um, Mark 6, verse 34, we see this beautiful, beautiful encounter with our Lord. Verse 34 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And this is what I want us to hear more than anything. This is what I want my heart to hear. And he had compassion on them. Because, and here's what just cuts my heart when you unpack what we're going to unpack today. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep led to slaughter, says Isaiah. I want you to keep that in mind as we carry on with this, this study. And I'm going to open up with some very troubling information, and then it's just going to get worse. Honest to goodness. And I think as we saw the last couple weeks looking at Israel, we see that we have one of the most privileged by God, their creator, nation of people ever known to man whose window closed on them. That was my intention the last two weeks, so that we would see that because Paul was explicit that that is an example for us. And the question is, who is the us in that passage? That is the church. With that in mind, I want you to take this in. With John 8.31 in mind, when Jesus is in this three-month elongated discourse with what I call the unregenerate believers, because they're referred to as believers multiple times, but you see Jesus makes it very clear they are re not regenerate believers. They're believing in something, but they are not believing in the truths of God by the Spirit of God. They're believing in their false religion. And in John 8.31, Jesus said to the Jews who had, and here it is, who had believed in him. 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That is such a massively important passage for us. Right out of the mouth of our Lord. And let me just kind of sensitize you to just how and where we are today. This is a study from Ligonier. It was a very comprehensive study of a broad section of people, and they singled out with questions, who are those who declare themselves to be evangelical Christians? And they asked them what they believe, and these were some of the, these were four or five of the things that ought to just leave you stunned and asking, what Bible are they reading? Because it's the same Bible we're reading. What do they believe? 65% believe that every single poor person is born innocent. 65%. How much doctrine do you have to throw out of the Bible to believe that? 55% believe the Bible is not literally true. The two go perfectly hand in hand. In order for me to believe this, I have to jettison the Bible and therefore make it not true so that I can be what? God. And write God's truth into the circumstances of my life as opposed to God's truth governing the circumstances of my life, guiding the circumstances of my life, framing, binding on that narrow road, right? So we just unhinge ourselves from the Bible, or as some very popular pastors would say, we just unhitch ourselves from the law. That particular pastor, pastors, pastors who pastor thousands of churches, Think about how we began this study. What is this all about? Where does this judgment from God, this abandoning wrath of God, where does it start? Our failure to worship God. 56% of evangelical Christians believe God accepts worship from all religions. What do all other religions outside of true biblical Christianity reject? Jesus Christ as the only way. This is 56% of evangelical Christians, professing evangelical Christians. And then maybe the most difficult, 43% believe Jesus was a Good teacher, but not God. That is Satan's lie, because we can be just like that guy. Right out of Genesis 3. And this is part of my point. All of this funnels us right back to what God taught us in Genesis 3. Particularly about God, our worship of God, and our horizontal treatment of one another, beginning with the marriage 
covenant, the union between a man and a woman. Because every bit of the rest of this passage unpacks is a direct attack on God, what he has given us, and particularly the covenant of marriage, which is the boundaries by which all of the beautiful intimacy between the man and the woman in which God made specifically for each other for that purpose are then violated in every vile way. And it invokes 2 Thessalonians 2.3. We should pay attention. Let no one deceive you in any way, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. For that day will not come, speaking of a day, unless the rebellion, which is apostasia, which is best understood as something that is once held tightly and believed that is no longer held tightly and believed. You simply begin to abandon the truth you once believed. That's apostasia. And what Paul is saying, the mark of that time is a falling away of holding to what we once believed, what we just heard from the evangelical church. And then he says this, unless that rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction That's the table we want to set for the rest of this unpacking. So I think we're going to see as fearful as that is for the professing church. The society we're living in is just, I don't know, I don't have words. Father, we come before you with our hearts and our minds fixed on our Lord and our Savior, and he who could look upon all of these sheep with compassion so much sorrow that it just brought him to tears. And Lord, may it be true of us as well, particularly as we look at the slaughter as we look at the wolves and we look at those that are being devoured, Lord, may we have this heart of compassion and love for the truth and love for you who is so beautifully revealed by that truth and by your spirit through our faith. And Lord, we just pray that each one of us would be illumined and motivated rightly to share your gospel. And Lord, we just lift all these things up in your ever precious name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. So you can kind of tell this is gonna be a little bit of an intense study. Um, and I'm gonna break Romans down again for us. We've been through 22 sessions, uh, I think, with this. But Romans 1, 18 through 23 really walks us through the vertical sin of not honoring God, of simply not honoring God, though we have been given every possible way to know there is a God. Just look at your babies and your grandbabies. Look at them lay there and breathe and sleep so peacefully and 
you have to know there's a wondrous God because that little baby is the result of two people becoming one flesh. But what we see here in this passage is the cause of everything else we're going to see take place. Through our unwillingness to worship and to honor God, and no passage in all the Bible sums it up better than the passage we have in Romans 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, no question, right? There's no question about that. There's no debate. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. There's the worship that, that the evangelicals say, God doesn't really care. As long as you're invoking some kind of God, he's good with that. When the very God incarnate said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to me unless the Father calls him but I am the way. They did not honor him or give thanks to him, and here it comes. Here comes the cause of all that we're about to hear. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And there begins the slide, and as we've all studied, I hope we've all heard, there we go, every one of us, or we will never fully appreciate and we will never have the compassion that our Lord had for the lost. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, and boy, are we going to see that they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for anything that they could create in their mind as just one more way for man to just try to pretend as though he can push God out of his conscience, the God consciousness. Romans 1, 24 through 27, we begin to see the consequence. And I'll tell you again, it is a direct attack on the marriage. It is a direct attack on the fidelity between a man and a woman. And the reason that it is so intensely attacked is because to whom does God ascribe the marriage covenant to? his beloved son, and his beloved bride. And what will he do for her? Make her pure. So that entire covenant is just under siege in some of the most perverse ways that you're about to hear. And what we see in this Romans 1, 24 through 27 are sins done uh, with our body amongst others. So we do it with ourselves and to other people. And what you have are the sins of sexual impurity. 
And as hard as it is for me to sit here in front of my dear brothers and sisters, I, I ask you, just scan in your mind the sexualization of everything in our society. Watch a football commercial. Look at the billboards, go to the mall, go to Abercrombie and Fitch. Go look at the 12 and 13 year old girls that are walking around in the mall without their parents. And tell me, what is being normalized? It is this kind of sexual impurity. Romans 124, the first step down. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity. Now, there is so much for us to take with that little passage. And it's why it is so important that we be incredibly careful and guarded with our desires. Because they are the slippery slope, right? Our heart drives our thinking which drives our motives, which drives our behavior. And if self is running through there in a dominant way, you are in big trouble. Romans 1.24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. There it is. Okay, I made a pure covenant. It's beautiful. It is the most precious thing between a man and a woman. You didn't want it. I'm going to give you over to every kind of pollution you can find. And by the way, those pollutants are what's already in your mind and your desires. God just gives us over to our desires. So be careful of what our desires are, right? And when I say that, I'm talking to Andy first, right? This is God's warning to his people. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because, here it comes again, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. What is the lie? Is it not any time we look at the plain truths of God's word and say, no thanks, I'll be just fine going the way I'd like to go. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. You think there's the message there. We've been through this. Now, this is data from 2021, and it is quite difficult and quite shocking, I think you'll find. This survey indicates that the vast majority of adults today perceive that the age of 16 is the proper age for having sex today. This is this country, arguably maybe second only to Israel, privileged. Because the Reformation that erupted in Europe flooded right into this country. And we have not been hindered like those that were burned at the stake, chased out of their countries. We've not been hindered. And yet this is our country. More than one million teenage girls become pregnant 
each year in the United States. That's today. Right out of the gates, we are beginning with a mindset that although most declare everybody innocent, we have a culture at the very most tender age of a young teenage girl who is already going through all of the difficulty of being a teenage girl and having all these things happen within her body. And she is now, because of, because of what's in her own heart and the society around her, loading her life down with sin of the most convicting kind. of the women aged 15 to 19. With over 55% of all females under the age of 18 have had at least one pregnancy. That was shocking to me. This is God's purest covenant. This is what he's warning us about, is the impurity of this covenant of the intimacy between, you see how rampant this is in our society? But you should see it is rampant at the most tender, youngest age of our young girls. What is that gonna do to the society that is born out of that, right? What's that? Oh, I'm like, should I duck? 55% of all females under the age of 18 having at least one pregnancy, and 55% of those teen pregnancies end in birth, only 55%. So not only are they being loaded down with the sin of immorality and all that comes with that, a very large percentage of them are just simply destroying that baby, and they will live with that for the rest of their lives. How many young Ladies, they're walking around and desperately need the compassion of our Lord. You know, you you all know someone. Some of them are very near and dear to you. They are to me. Like sheep led to slaughter. This is what's happening. 31% 31% end in abortion, 14% in miscarriages. 58% of the teenagers agree that uh, teenagers agree that their friends are sexually active. And the Centers for Disease Control tells us that one out of four of these teenage girls between the ages of 14 and 19 already have at least one lifelong sexually transmitted disease that they will now propagate. New York City, 60% of the babies are aborted. Let that sink in. 65% of those abortions are by African-American women. Who abort 70% of their babies. That is horrendous.
I warned you. And now we move to the next step. So I'm going to take you from that. And you don't even have to think about the boys there, do you? They're just, it's just a, I don't have to say it. Downward step number two, the digression and exaltation of immorality that we just saw becomes now a particular type of immorality that, believe it or not, even to this day, most recent lengthy assessments tell us that less than 1% of this country identifies as homosexual. Less than 0.5% of this country identifies as transgender. But yet, look at the sword that is wielded. Why is that? Think of the destruction within the lives of these young girls and the countless babies that are being destroyed. Well, here comes a whole other sort of destruction. Verse 26 of Romans 1, For God, for this reason, worship, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And here we come to squarely. For the women exchanged their natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were, here's an important word, consumed. That word is insatiable. You cannot stop. It's the drug addict. You cannot get enough. With passion, careful of your desires and your passion. And if, if all of a sudden God starts giving you over to them, you better run to a brother or sister in Christ With passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. I'm going to read from a book which I would commend to anyone who witnesses into this community called Straight and Narrow, Compassion and Clarity in the Homosexual Debate by Thomas Schmidt. He is a Ph.D. from Cambridge ancient languages, New Testament ethics, a researcher, a writer, and a man who is incredibly gifted at breaking your heart over this community. I'm going to give you 10 men from this community who come into your life and you get to know in a very personal way. Here's what's going on in the lives of those 10 men. Four out of ten involved in a relationship where only one of them is faithful to his partner. His partner is unfaithful and is seen by the data unfaithful with an average of two men per month. And that only increases as their life goes on. And that's just perfectly fine because it's not fidelity. It's volume. Insatiable. Four out of ten have never had a relationship that has ever lasted more than a year, and only one has lasted more than three. 
Six out of 10 have regular relationships with complete random unknown strangers who they will never see again. Three out of 10 actively participate in group activities and almost entirely with complete strangers. One out of 10 is a sadomasochist. And you see the insatiable nature right there. One out of 10 is an active and often identified and documented pedophile. And what is most fearful about this movement that is getting such broad exaltation that multiple of those men are moving in that direction because getting enough is never achieved. It always has to be more and more. And it gets darker and it gets darker. And I know this is difficult. But I want you to see the lives of these men. They are someone's son. And they have believed the lie. Three out of 10 are alcoholics. Five out of 10 have long histories of alcohol abuse. Four out of 10 are chronic drug abusers. Five out of 10 regularly use illegal and particularly dangerous drugs, known dangerous drugs. Three out of 10 are multiple simultaneous drug abusers. Four out of 10 have a long history of acute depression. Three out of 10 have seriously contemplated suicide. Two out of 10 have attempted and failed and will keep trying. Eight out of 10 carry multiple STDs, one of which will kill them because it destroys the immune system and a common cold will kill you. Eight out of 10 carry infections and pathogens and currently suffer from multiple chronic diseases and ailments caused by these pathogens. Three out of 10 are infected with HIV and one of the three has full-blown AIDS. And the author so rightly says, Mr. Schmidt, and this is part of the point of his book because he goes through extensively the passages that refer to this lifestyle. And he comes to this wonderfully fearful conclusion. No honest look at current scientific research allows us to view the homosexual practice as a peaceable and harmless lifestyle. But yet, look at the world. Do you see it? Do you see how much of this world and this country has literally been just given over? To believe this lie? For the vast majority of homosexual men and a significant number of homosexual women, even apart from the de deadly plague of AIDS, sexual behavior is obsessive, psychopathological, and destructive to their bodies, as we've just seen. If there were no specific biblical principles to guide sexual behavior, and there are, 
These considerations alone would constitute a compelling argument against the homosexual practice. And then he says, our bodies must not be martyrs to our desires. All of it is subordinated to God's will for us. And if that wasn't enough, and I don't know about you, but it makes my stomach turn, honest to my Lord. And maybe this is one of the most uh, I think three years ago, a mother came to a lady named Abigail Schreier, a writer and investigative journalist, and pleaded with her, would you please tell my story so that you can tell mothers and fathers all over this country what can happen to their daughter? Her daughter was attending a school, small school, and she was long into what we're about to read before she ever heard one word about it. And there were five other girls in that tiny little class who were on the same course. And she could not believe that that could happen to what was altogether otherwise a perfectly normal child until her daughter hit that dysphoric age of 12, 13, 14, when all those changes go on and they kind of go sideways with life. This young lady and five of her friends got snatched right into this fast track that I'm about to read to you. In 2007, there was one gender clinic in our country. I think the bird just dropped fuzz, thankfully. A little levity, right? Today, there are 300. I went to the website last night, and it is every prestigious academic institution and medical institution in this country, plus a whole bunch of others. I'm going to foreshadow. Do you see Romans 132? You see how the whole complex has given not just hearty approval but the means by which to accomplish this to our youth. Today there are 300. Out of nor nowhere, in the UK alone, there is a 4,400% rise in teenage girls undertaking gender treatment. Not discussion, but treatment because they immediately get whisked in and moved into treatment right away. Teenage girls are the leading demographic who claim gender dysphoria today. There's more. <laughs> Please tell me if it lands on my head and stays there. Uh, Planned Parenthood will give testosterone and other Biological altering chemicals to minors on their first visit if they ask for it. No parental consent whatsoever in most of the states. This could be your 13-year-old daughter, granddaughter.
Researchers honest about this horrendous movement call it social contagion. Like the new bell-bottoms that all the kids are wearing. That's what it's like. Young adults and young girls in particular are so prone to this, are they not? They get swept into it. Tina and I hear from a seventh grader in a tiny little school of the playground chat. Six-year-old, sixth grade. Sixth grade, playground chat. Are you trans? I'm thinking about being trans. That's the conversation in Little Eton, Georgia. I'm not making this up. And I am not trying to shock you. I, I just want us to know what we're dealing with. Social contagion. Teen girls currently have the highest rates of suicidal tendencies because they're going through all this and they've, most of them have no place to go. Their homes are a wreck. Mom and dad are running everywhere. They're stressed out about money. They're going from ball games to here to there to there. There's no time to hold that family tight. Highest rates of suicide and deep depression, particularly those in this movement. Even more horrendous is the reality that the entire transgender community communicates from a multitude of sources. We see them, if you, we don't, but if you watch, I mean, everywhere, this lifestyle is being encouraged and exalted and protected with the sword. They're being told that moving towards transgenderism will solve all of those other problems. That's what they're being told. Boy, talk about a lie. Talk about a lie. 15 to 30% of 7th grade girls in the United States now identify, often secretly, as trans. Just what we're experiencing up there. And then are affirmed by an entire medical complex that ushers them into a series of medical procedures, puberty blockers, almost immediately. And do you know what puberty blockers are used for traditionally? to chemically castrate serial rapists and pedophiles. And they begin to administer these drugs almost immediately with these girls. And now we're seeing from the last four to five years of onslaught of this, these girls that are now reaching more stability in their lives and they're, look, they're looking and saying, what did I do? Do you know what the name of Abigail's book was? Irreversible damage, because it is. And then we hit Romans 1.28 and 31. And the corporate rebellion that I think is just 
personified by this entire movement. Because to lead a child down this path is the epitome of hatred, willful ignorance. Why on earth? Verse 29, Romans 1. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Evil. Just think about what I just said. Evil. Covetousness. Malice. Intent to do harm is malice. Just look at the news. Look at Atlanta last week. Look at what happened downtown. Buildings, right? They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. The big cities, when these riots are going on, <laughs> you read the stories. Little old man going to the grocery store for his wife gets caught up in the middle of these, gets pummeled by 20 people, and everybody stands by and watches. That's what's going on. That's what this is. That's what I'm trying to, right? That's what this is in our society. Verse 32. This is so searing though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them do you see the point doesn't that just strike fear in your heart this is the political medical academic complex that we're talking about in today's setting I want to introduce you to end with a man who some of you may or may not know. His name is Yuval Noah Harari. Yuval was born in 1976. He is an Israeli historian, Jewish man. He is a professor in the Department of History at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Sounds pretty credentialed, doesn't he? He has a PhD from Oxford. He is a homosexual man living in the world's marriage to another man. He has written books that have sold over 40 million copies in 65 languages and is considered by the world as one of the most influential public intellectuals of our day. Harari is a World Economic Forum advisor, speaker, and key influencer of the primary programs of the organization and its causes. He believes, among other things, there is no truth, only power. Humans are no higher than the animals, and the vast majority of the world population is now unnecessary. 
He rejects firm values such as the sanctity of human life as a foundation of society and its laws, and the world does not need the vast majority of the people on it. And if that wasn't ominous enough, he says, for four billion years, nothing fundamental changed in the basic rules of life. It didn't matter. If you were an amoeba or a dinosaur or a banana plant or a homo sapien, you were all made of just organic compounds and you evolved by natural selection. You're just a blob. That's all you are. You see why we can, you see the searing of the conscience that allows for the society that we live in? and the entire complex to now embrace it. But this is what is most telling. In the coming decades, this is going to change. Science is about to replace natural selection with intelligent design as the chief mortar of evolution, not the intelligent design of some god of the clouds, his god, his father's, father's, father's god some god of the clouds, but the intelligent design of our clouds. He has really bought the lie, has he not? One of the most influential men in the world today, for the world. We're about to create the first inorganic life forms after four billion years of evolution. In the process, homo sapiens are likely to disappear, not because we will destroy ourselves, but because we will change and upgrade ourselves into something very different. The combination of artificial intelligence and bioengineering will create completely new bodily and physical and mental traits. So we are in the process of becoming gods. That's his agenda. Whose agenda is that? Satan in Genesis 3. Do you see how precisely and more importantly, how fervently we should hold to the truths of Scripture? Because we live in a world that is utterly swept away by the most horrific set of lies attacking the most precious and tender and vulnerable of the human population, young adults. So let me close here with all that in your heart and mind. And the very natural question, what do you do with that? What do you do with all this that's making your gut feel like my gut right now? I love this passage. It's so beautiful. It applies so wonderfully. Don't ever lose sight that you were on the same road. And if it weren't by God's grace, you would be right there. And they, just like you and I, are still created in the image of our God. And so Paul says this. Finally, brothers, in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers. This is a good one to just put on your mirror in the morning as you enter into this world. 
and you have these temptations to just look upon these people with disdain and disgust. Take a page out of the Lord's words. For he had compassion on them, for they were sheep being led to slaughter. And to help you with that, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Find them in these individuals and tell them from where it came. from their creator. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Because we own the testimony. We own the gospel shared. God owns everything else. Trust him with that. These people are bound in a place a lot like where the prodigal son found himself. They only cared when you had something left to give. And then they just leave you. That's why the suicidal rates are so, so high. The ultimate of used and abused. That's our Romans 1. And we'll transition in a couple, three weeks to Romans 2. Next week, we'll just kind of settle into the new setting, have some coffee. I would encourage us to just maybe talk a little bit about the study, questions we may have, areas that were difficult, things that we need to revisit. And then we'll pick back up with James, I think is going to teach us for a class. And then we'll pick up with Romans 2 the third week in February, okay? Thank you, guys.